Hello, Podnutsians. Welcome to The Makers, Episode 9. This is where we try to build, break, learn every single week. Uh, my name is Door to Door Geek, uh, host of this show, owner of Podnuts.com. Uh, I will say this is a show where well, we are, again, short this week, which is okay because I still think we have plenty of stuff and plenty of smart guys here to talk about stuff. Um, real quick, uh, building, breaking, and learning. Uh, Brett, did you do any of that this week? Um yeah, a little bit. Uh, I broke quite a few things. Um, built a, uh, still building my uh, NES emulator system. Uh, redoing a uh, 3D printed version of an inside structure that is actually coming together pretty good. Um, learning, I've never stopped. At least cool. I try not to. That that there's a good answer. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Chad, did you do any uh, building, breaking, and learning this week? I did some building, well, in process of doing some building, I um, got that K40 laser, a cheap Chinese laser, um, building some stuff on that, tweaking that a little bit, um, finished up some stuff on the MPCNC, still haven't tested it completely to make sure everything's good, but um, yeah, no real breaking though, that's unfortunate, I guess. <laughs> well, you still have about an hour left. Oh, hold on, let me get a hammer. There you go. Um also joined again by Liam. Seems like the weather has lightened up, or at least uh, for now. Um, have you spent this week doing any building, breaking, or learning? Yeah, weather's been a little more cooperative this week. Um, you know, I've been pretty lazy on the maker front. I've just been recovering from this horrible tooth extraction. Um, so not a ton of stuff. Mostly just kind of keeping an even keel, getting things just just continuing to print on the stuff I have. Um, I did do some upgrades a couple weeks back that I'll talk about later. But, yeah, not not a ton, really. Well, and I'll say it wasn't just the tooth extraction that caused concern, but afterwards you had uh, what you – there was the name for it. What was it called again? Oh, yes, I forgot all about that. The subcutaneous emphysema, um, air under the skin. Yeah, air was under your skin that you could move and shift around, and we could hear it over, uh, like, his phone. We we could hear the sound, so I can only imagine how it sounded to you. Yeah, it's not it's not a normal thing, for sure. Um, <laughs> it does sound very off-putting and scary, but it's, it's benign. Well, I'm happy it was benign. Um, me building, breaking, and learning this week, I will say... Honestly, not a lot of time building. Um, yeah, now just to be honest with you guys, uh, it looks like I am going to have to take my print head apart. Uh, uh, sometime last week, I was printing the joints, the corner joints for the light box that is complete, standing and up now. Uh, and during printing those uh, three ways, I went into the room one time and there was the screw sitting on the bed. And yeah, it was. Uh, from the printhead, I was finally able to confirm where it was at, what it was doing. But then we were printing some test C clamps to see if they were the right size, the shape, would they work, would they hold how we think they would hold. And we were able to print, I think, two C clamps, and they fitted near perfect. I could not believe how good they, they like a little bit of force to snap on, not a lot, and they didn't twist, they didn't move, they actually stayed input. But what happened is. Once in a while, my print head would jerk 
from one side of the C-clamp going all the way to the other without printing. Just It finished up over here, now it's going to go back over there and start back up again. And the jerk from that was causing enough e, um, e, um, inertia to cause my print head to swing or move, and the print head was literally like bumping into the print itself. So, like, uh, two of the C-clamps we printed at the very end, we printed three total. Two of them had anomalies in them that I have to equate with the print head being shifted and moved. So I think it's now just a, we, there's no choice. I have to take the damn thing apart. Uh, I'm going to, Chad said, you know, take pictures. No, no, I'm going to do one better. I'm literally going to have the damn the whole thing videotaped on the phone because I'm going to need it. Because when I was a kid, I was the kid. 90% of the things I took apart never went back together the same. Nah, Dor. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have to fix it right away because, I mean, the head tilting side to side, that's a huge issue. Huge. Um, it's going to be three screws to get the, the metal box that the fan shroud or the fan sits in off. You'll just flop that to the side and then screw the screw back in. Uh, definitely use some thread locker or maybe some super glue. If you don't have thread locker, I'd, I'd just get some thread locker, some blue from... Uh, like the Harbor Freight. Well, see, I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to have to take part of the shell apart to like get inside the box. No, no, not at all. You're just going to take three screws off of the, the shroud that hold the, the shroud and the fan to the bar, to the bar. Yeah. And then underneath there, you have your, your red piece, the, the cold end. There's two screws that go through that. And one of them's just fallen out. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, then what I'm thinking I'm going to need is like a magnetic tip instrument so I can hold the screw as I put it inside there. Because I'm pretty sure it's not flush with the edge. It's actually up inside the box. No, it's flush with the edge. You, oh, okay. Once, once you take that box off, it's it's easy. Yeah, once that cover comes off, you're going to be right at it. It's not going to be a problem. Well, then I feel better. But the problem is, is I'm not done uh, talking about the breaking for the week. Dramatic pause. Um, I broke a $18,000 piece of equipment, caught my car, when I was rear-ended on the key bridge uh, by a big, whopping Silverado 16, uh, 1500 Chevy. Chevy um, Hit me going at least 30 or 40 miles an hour, and I'm in a Mitsubishi Mirage four-door and a hatchback, a little tiny, tiny thing. Um, luckily, or hopefully, or thankfully, or whatever, no injuries. My leg hurt for like a day, day and a half. It's virtually 100% now. There's no physical pain. Like I can touch it all I want. No pain. Just a little bit of muscle stuff going on. Uh, my wife had like a almost like a burn, a friction burn is what I'm going to say, on her arm where like her arm rubbed the uh, texture of the door as she was hit. But And then she had a little tiny cut um, on like the top middle part of her nose. Quick tangent. Anybody telling somebody who gets in an accident, how are you doing? Wait, don't tell me. Hurry up, go get a lawyer. Hurry up, go get a lawyer. Hurry up, go get a lawyer. I'll just say I am never that kind of person about anything in any shape, way, or form. If I'm entitled to money, I'm going to take the money. If a guy hit me, to me, that doesn't mean I'm entitled to go to a doctor and claim injury or claim distress or claim I can't enjoy time with my wife anymore or whatever for money. Um, if I'm due money the random chance of the universe will send me money. That's the way I feel. Uh, so tomorrow we're going to have to go car, 
car um, car shopping. So my logic is, if we get back too early, we're going to have to go food shopping, which then leaves me all day Sunday. I should be able to, to do this. If we get back late, I might be able to tomorrow night uh, take off the printhead and fix it. Um, I will say I'm... I have my son pretty much sold on the idea of the Etsy shop, but the logic is we went through Jonas's documentation of the business plan kind of thing, the project plan kind of thing. And I have him pretty much convinced. Now, the first things we have to do is figure out what we're going to sell. Uh, do we have a target audience or not? Is it kids? Is it teenagers? Is it moms? Is it dads? Is it grandparents? Who is it? And um, we need to finish up the light box and we need to print those things we want to sell. And then we have to take pictures of them in that light box to make them more pleasing to the eyes. We can put them in the store kind of thing. Um, he, he says to me, he's completely on board because he would like to have his own money to buy his own games on the switch and buy his own stuff once in a while. So that's the plan moving forward. Um, I still will have no problem admitting to you guys. I haven't learned a damn thing in any designing application. I'm not sure I could design a solid cube, to be honest. Uh, it's just a question of time. So he's going to be the designer. I'm going to be the social media guy, the storefront kind of guy, and the guy who basically puts his own upfront capital investment into this endeavor. Yeah, I'm with you, Dor. Um, I I lack the creativity. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll get a tiny little spark that'll ignite. But for the most part, I can take an idea and make it better, or what I think is better. But I just those original creative ideas, they just uh, that's not me. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you, Liam. Um, I can somewhat make things better sometimes, but uh, when it comes to new stuff, I am not a designer. I don't feel like. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll say, uh, I'm right now using the name Backpack Shield for the um, uh, initial idea of the you know backpack uh, cover shield thing. I don't, I just call it. So it's the kind of thing that if you, the listener, have better ideas, now you can go to podnuts.com, click on contact, and click the makers. I just fixed that today. Finally, thank you, Kevin. Um, so you, now you can go there and send us formal emails. And I will say this, sending it through the website gives it a static subject line. So it's always easily identifiable to me and it's easier for me to not miss it and bring it to the show. So that's just a tip to you guys. You can still send me an email directly to the makers at podnuts.com. Uh, I'm going to see if I can talk these guys into having those emails automatically forwarded to a email address of their choosing so we can all instantaneously get the emails. Um, learning the only thing i really have been learning is to be honest better patience talking to my son about doing these things uh and i've taught my son a little bit more of computing basic computing skills so now he's a little bit more competent in using the interface and using the tools he's now getting comfortable uh taking the file out of tinkercad saving it down to the computer open up cura uh deciding if he needs support uh, you know, spinning stuff around, looking at it, going through the layers, exporting it, and then opening up a new file manager window and over the network via Samba shares, copying it over to the Octoprint. Because let me tell you something, to upload anything through the Octoprint interface is almost useless. It takes so damn long. With a Samba share, I can copy over any G-code file over my network in literally the blink of an eye. Yeah, the upload feature... On Octoprint is pretty slow if you use that. I 
That's what I use, though, so it works. Uh, I use the upload feature, but yeah, you're right. It's pretty slow. Um, I usually just uh, put it up and then go do something else for a little while and then come back and it's it's ready. I, I don't really experience that. Um, well, it's not true. At my office, it's slow, but it's running through my, my firewall being scanned. Um, but here, I mean, even running through these freaking power line Ethernet adapters, it's just lickety split. Are you guys wired or wireless on those? I have to be wireless. I'm uh, I'm still running off of the uh, uh, tethering off my phone. Yeah, and I'm wireless running the uh, onboard Wi-Fi for uh, for the Raspberry Pi. So that's probably why it's slow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Door's wireless too. All mine are wired. I've never set up wireless anything on any of those. So maybe that's the difference. Yeah, I'm wireless because I'm lazy. I don't want to put any holes through the walls. And I don't have the uh, extra income in order to pay a genuine electrician or even someone modestly, uh, you know, um, knowledgeable about electricity to try to evaluate the outlet that's closest to it. Right now, I literally have a six-way box basically hanging off my ceiling with an extension cord coming straight out of, the, of that straight down over to a surge protector or a power strip, sorry, power strip to power all my devices. So I'm using wireless. And I'll say most of the G code I upload, I can watch the progress meter go like 7, 14, 21, 20. And, and it's like, it literally takes that long. And, and, and I cannot, I cannot stand that. And over Samba, it's literally a blink of an eye and it's copied. So it's combination Wi-Fi and somehow that Octoprint is interpreting it. I've just adjusted my workflow to adjust for all that slow whatever because i usually do it while it's warming up and whatnot it's just i don't know it don't bother me i guess (laughs) yeah and i'll say i got my son also using the printoid octoprint android application where we paid the top dollar and i um sat him through it and i showed him how to use it and he is completely sold on being able to just sit in front of the printer use that and do everything um I will say when it's simple, when it works, he's a big fan of it. And and, and I'm going to throw this in here too. This is my early topic. Um, it's a small one. Um, Graphite-STL G-Code Viewer on my Android device. Really tiny app, really small app. When I'm printing something on the printer and he walks up to me and says, what are you printing, Dad? It's much easier for me to show him a, a uh, graphical representation of what I'm printing versus trying to explain it to him. So I just downloaded this app, put it on my phone, uh, connect over the Wi-Fi to my Octoprint because it's already there. It's already a bookmark. I just open the app, open the folder, copy the file down to my phone, open it up with this application in one more click, and then he can see what's going on. All it is is a viewer where you can take the STL and look at it or the G-code and look at it as if it was in a renderer. That's really nice, Dory. I've actually been looking for an STL viewer and that looks like it's going to be pretty much what I'm looking for. Thanks. No problem. And it looks like it does show, you can see like um, the print lines so you can see how it's going to go through the motions on each individual layer. I thought that was a nice plus. Okay, now real first topic, uh, Liam wanted to talk about some upgrades with, I'm sure, a double D. Um, how did they go, man? 
They've gone well so far. Um, I took the acrylic frame on my Anet A8 and replaced it with 2040 aluminum extrusions. And uh, man, <laughs> it's just rock solid. I mean, you could stand on the thing. I, I've carted it around to the office and back a couple times. I still have a couple small things to finish up, like putting the feet on the bottom, um, centering up some rails and stuff, but it prints, and uh, it prints nice. It's it's keeping a level. Um, I replaced the spring so it's hard-mounted. I forgot to do the spacers for the hard-mounting, but when I was printing out all the, the, the parts, there's a, there's a whole build material, or build materials and a build list over on... Uh, Thingiverse. I, I think we have the link in the notes. If not, we'll make sure it's there. And uh, for about 55, 60 bucks worth of parts, this thing is just rock solid. Well, um, I printed all the parts in PETG, but I forgot the spacers, so I ended up printing those on another machine in PLA because that's what I had at the time. And they've started to sag, so I need to swap out those spacers with some PETG ones I printed earlier today. But uh, otherwise, just super impressed with it. I mean, it's it's like a whole other machine now. Well, uh, two quick questions. One, why upgrade? Was it like not square? Was it because it was not as stiff or firm? Did it cause imperfections in your print? And two, so when you bought this, did you have to do any cutting or bending of metal or did you order everything and it just fit together like it should? I ordered the stuff. Um, uh, Misomo, I believe, is the, the place I got it from. They will cut it to length to the millimeter. Um, so everything was pre-cut, just fit together perfectly. Um, the reason for the upgrade was it just isn't sturdy. Um, Chad, and I'm sure Rich, if he was here, could attend to the fact that you, you put a finger on it, you give it a little wiggle, it's, it's going to wiggle. You'll get some movement out of it. I had done a lot of the um, stiffening upgrades to it, and I did do those out of PLA, and they, they worked, but it went to go live in my garage. I live in Texas. It's hot. It's very hot. Um, so... It just couldn't handle the heat and was constantly getting out of level. Um, probably part of it's just it's it's sitting with two other printers on a um, less than solid table in a hot garage and everything shaking around, just causing it to go out of level. But yeah, now it's just dead nuts on. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'm going to guess this is going to translate into, I guess, better, more constant uh, detail on your prints. Certainly, there should be better repeatability and consistency on things. Um, I haven't done a full suite of testing yet. Like I say, I've, I've got a couple little things to finish up. I've got some notes that I wrote today while I was at the office. I had spare time to get some things figured out. But yeah, um, it's certainly usable at this point. There's a couple small things I want to do to it. And uh, I'll update you guys on that later on. Um, <laughs> one thing I did come across that was a, I guess a little bit of a break or a flub or something is I didn't quite, like I say, get the rails for the Y axis where the bed moves front and back where they should be. They were off to the right further than they should be. And I was having some issues getting my initial offset set. And what was happening is the capacitive sensor was partially hanging off the edge. So it couldn't get a good read and it was throwing a skew. So sometimes it'd be on, sometimes it wouldn't be. And then I was watching it kind of close, sitting back, and I noticed, huh, that's hanging off the edge. <laughs> and then it clicked, hey, it's it's that's where the, the skew is coming in for my Z offset. And uh, 
So I just picked up the glass plate, slid it over like 20 millimeters, re-ran. Everything's perfect now. Um, so that's one of those things I need to do when I tear it down to put the new spacers in is move things so it's all centered and uh, the sensor's reading an entire surface as opposed to two-thirds of one. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. And I, and I will say uh, this is an example of how anybody can take uh, a lot of the budget uh, 3D printers out there and really uh, upconvert them, upgrade them, up, you know, push them into a different class of um of um of um 3d printers because i'm sure if you take the price of the printer and the price of the upgrade and you were to find a um a uh, close to the same spec and par of this printer it would cost a lot more than those two put to um to uh together at least i hope so yeah i'd certainly imagine so um i would say all told i'm under 400 and that's including replacement parts i had to get directly right after i got the day yet because you know if if I order something, there's going to be a broken part on every one of them. <laughs> Five printers, every one of them's had something wrong with it out of the box. Um, but extremely competent printer for less than 400 now. Gotcha, gotcha. What's the uh, build plate on the Anet? Is it eight by eight by eight or? Uh, I believe the volume is 205, 205, like 220. But the glass is the 205 by 205. The actual build plate's another probably 10 millimeters on either side. And then, of course, it's easy to extend the Z. Yeah, I think the aluminum plate on there is uh, 220 by 220. And then it says 240 for the Z on the factory settings, you know, factory built. That makes it nice. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Um... Okay. Did you have any more you wanted to go go over, Liam? If anytime you're, if you get one of these anets, um, wherever you buy it from, pay the extra ten, twelve dollars, whatever it is, to get the um, control board. Well, not control board. The LCD screen that has the 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 encoding wheel as opposed to the five button. Oh my God! It's 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 worth every penny easily. Yes, you're going to have to flash it with a different version of the firmware, but that's everywhere. And it makes life so much easier when you're going through the menu and setting things than using those stupid five-button um, one that it comes with. I agree with you there. That five-button deal is horrible. The buttons don't click right. They don't always read right. Uh, it's a nightmare. I've got a new screen now that I'm planning on upgrading mine too. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, real quickly, do you need any extra hardware? And can I ask what are the software requirements to do the flashing of the board? Like, can it only be done from Windows and do you need to buy an extra cable or anything? Uh, you plug in via USB, you load up our Arduino, and you do it through there. There's no special FTDI or bootloader you got to break or anything. That's all been done, and it's open and available. Um, they're using that, that standard uh, A-net square red board. Um, it, it's a competent board. want to make sure you have some active cooling on it. And uh, if it gets wonky, give it some more cooling and just go ahead and order another one. I mean, they're $22 or something. It, they're ridiculously cheap for what they are. Well, affordable. And, and they're a little cheap, too. But um, thoroughly impressed with the thing. Uh, yeah, and as far as firmware goes and stuff, 
that Skynet firmware is awesome for that. There's a guy that's developing that, and they keep developing on it. And he does all, I mean, he even gives you an STL for the sensor mount and everything. If you wanted to do a bed, auto bed leveling and stuff, it's, and everything just works and it's really nice. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, extremely well put together the package for the, um, both the Skynet and then the ANET AM8 is what it's called over on Thingiverse. Um, if, if you're going to get, if, if you want to go that route, you, you can buy, um, these i3s, you can get like the Folger Tech 2020. It's going to be 2020 instead of the 2040. Um, you're going to spend more going the ANET route, but yeah, you could certainly, like Dora was saying, start, you know, for the 160 bucks and then move up as you feel like you need it or you've reached the, the limits of the printer. Um, but if you know you're going to go this route anyways, just get the parts and skip the acrylic. Um, then you don't got to peel it. Peeling that acrylic is horrible. And uh, I think it the the whole process start to finish without going the intermediary steps of building the thing out of the acrylic would just be a really, really great project for somebody that loves to build things just for the fact of building it. Cause other than the failure on the parts I got and the acrylic, I've loved every minute of working on this thing. Wow. That's a, if that's not a, uh, in, um, in a, in a, a endorsement, I, I, I don't know what it is. Because you could have easily dumped on it and said cheap quality this, cheap quality that, parts not here, parts missing kind of thing, but you didn't. Well, I mean, it is cheap quality, but I go in knowing that. I don't think that it's going to be this amazing Lexus built whatever at 160 bucks delivered, you know? And I've, I've had my expectations tempered by every printer previous to it as well. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. Um, first thing I'm going to bring, well, second thing, because I brought the Graphite Android thing, is I am really, 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 honest to God, tempted, guys, to get this next image printed out in like a, I'm going to guess, like a four foot tall sheet and hang on the inside of the door of my garage right next to my 3D printer. Um, I asked you guys just for a quick sanity check on some of it, and, you know, everyone who Give me feedback, gave me at least positive feedback. This is a image right now hosted on Reddit, which it looks like it might have been part of rigid.inc. Uh, it's called Advanced Overview to Improve Your 3D Print Finish Quality. Subtitle. So your printer's now working 100% re, um, reliable, but your prints aren't as, aren't as nice as they could be. Here's how to make your 3D prints look not so 3D printed. Now, here's the reason. Everybody I know who doesn't have a 3D printer says, states over and over again how they don't like how they can look at something and tell it's been 3D printed. Now, a lot of times they can't exactly describe how they mean that, but what I take it to mean is how you can sometimes see the lines, the layers kind of thing being print, printed together. So this is a big poster-sized thing with a picture of that stereotypical boat. I've seen a whole bunch of these guys print. And it gives you basically micro examples of what could go wrong and then quick examples of what could fix it. I want this on the door so I can very easily finish a print, look at the print, look up at the door, look down at the print, look up at the door. and you know get a better idea of what kind of little 
tweaks because this is where I'm now feel like I'm in the land once I get the print head salad again. I'm now in the land of a thousand small tweaks to try to get the most pristine print to come out of my printer. And I really don't want to, every time I look at something, try to figure out how am I going to explain this? Take a picture of it, share it in Voxer, and bug you guys for every single little thing. Because I don't want to bug you guys for every single little thing. I'd rather have something like this at my disposal. Um, it's All this to me sounds like good information, but I don't know. I'm looking at it right now, and it... For me, I mean, it looks like it's pretty perfect. I mean, I think it would fit on a door pretty easily. Um, but, uh, yeah, everything on it looks, from what I know, looks really good. Yeah, I've seen this one floating around. Um, I haven't I haven't clicked on it to look at it just because I kind of glanced over it. And it looked like it was a rehash of one I saw maybe two or three days before that did a similar thing, but it wasn't as pretty. Um, they could be completely different, but I read the one and the other one had a lot of good information. Yeah. Um, what I'll give the listener is there's a, there will be a link in the notes. Uh, but like it says, um, for instance, um, your, uh, print has sloppy layers equals over extrusion. I, I do think I've seen it to where it looks like almost like a wavy thickness in layer heights on certain places and what they say uh they, they say that the ex, the extrusion multiplier too high so dial it down make sure not printing too hot i will say like liam i'm becoming a fan of printing hot just because it sticks to the bed so damn good um second section of this has like foolproof filament uh consider cleaning your filament there is a filament cleaner you can basically clip on uh to the filament as it's coming into your machine that will basically wipe it as it's coming through onto the printer i think that's one of those little things that i don't think i would have ever thought of and it makes sense that it could help with the overall print so there's less dust there's less little bits getting into the um hot end uh and then like post printing finishing techniques you have the um um, I'll say common sense things like sanding and polishing, painting and glossing, but they also have acetone smoothing, which I do believe you guys have mentioned in the past. And then you have something called gap filling using a 3D pen. Now, the 3D pen, I think, is a touch overkill. I'm pretty sure Liam was like, uh, I believe, friction welding with filament could also do kind of the same thing. I've actually done the gap filling with 3D pen. And it works pretty decently. Yeah, I've never even thought about doing a gap filling with a 3D pen. I mean, I can uh, get a 3D pen from Monoprice relatively cheaply. I'm going to have to try that. How cheap? I don't know, like 40 bucks, if that. I've seen these 3D pens, you know, 20 bucks and under. You know? Oh, okay. Then, they're cheap. Yeah. If you order them like on eBay, they're just cheap. They're, they're, why not have one? I had I honestly had no idea they were that cheap. I thought they were easily eighty to a hundred bucks. Yeah, it seemed the average is fifty, sixty. Yeah, when they first came out they were pretty expensive, but now they're you know now the Chinese companies are starting to make them real fast and really cheap, so actually I just uh looked at uh Monoprice and they have it on sale for nineteen ninety nine. I'll post a link in the notes, it's forty two percent off. 
Oh, damn. Um, okay, a really quick tangent again, because the picture in the... Okay, first off, there's a lot more tips than what I said. Literally 10 times tip what I said. So I encourage everyone to look at that link. It's to a image on iReddit. i.reddit.it. That's their link shortener uh, thing. The picture is of a boat that I've seen so many YouTubers print and go over and describe and talk about. I haven't seen any of you guys ever print this boat. Is this some kind of like testing your quality uh, STL that people use? I think we all use Liam's Cube, um, but I, from what I know, it is just a, a test print. I think it's Benchy is what it's called. Yeah, it's supposed to be a torture test for how well your printer can print certain things. And it works. I mean, it, it has all the features you want to check, you know. I've I've actually never printed one. I don't know. I think I've printed maybe three or four. It, yeah, it's a calibration cube of sorts. Um, it's 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 a lot more useful now that they released this infograph the other day. Um, I I saw an infograph that had all this on one simple page, and that's what I thought this thing from Rigid Ink was. But it's clearly not. Um, I dropped a link in the chat that shows all the stuff, the the specs of hey, measure this. This is what this should be. This is the overhang so on and so forth. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find the infograph because it was one sheet that had all of this that's on this web page, but this is from the people that actually made the 3D Benchy. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, next, I want to bring up is an email. Um, actually, two emails. I want to put Liam's link here in the notes first. Okay, um, uh, first one is an email from Kevin. Uh, Hi, I saw this on Kickstarter and thought it would be something you guys might like to see. I tried to find a link to share with the makers, but I'm sure you'll see fit. The link will will make its way to them. Thanks, Kevin. Yes, Kevin, I did finally fix that page. So now, partners.com, click on contact. You will see a link to the makers. And this is a link to a Kickstarter called QBO, C-U-B-I-I-O, the most compact laser in laser in um in um graver this literally looks like it's a about a two by two by two inch cube that you can sit on like a little tripod and it will laser engrave and they're still on their video it's laser engraving pancakes yeah i looked at it it looked kind of neat i mean it's just a diode laser so i mean it's not gonna it you know you're gonna cut paper and stuff like that it's not gonna cut like a co2 laser or anything but it is definitely a neat little idea yeah i can see and i don't want to really i don't want to minimize or insult this because i'm not for a small hobbyist or for small i think i i keep thinking almost like crafting kind of thing I, i could see this being an actual fun thing to have around a fun thing to do you could customize a lot of things with this in a portable, easy fashion. To me, the best thing about this is you can take your laser to where you want it to be done. You don't have to bring it to your laser. Um, I didn't get a chance to look at the actual price. It looks like uh, $379 or more gets you one of these. That, 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 that seems a touch pricey. Yeah, when I looked, it looked like the cheapest one that was available still was at right around the 600 mark. And I mean, for that price, you could build a nice diode laser. Um, I don't. This this isn't for me. I'm not its target. I guess. Um, looking at it, it at first glance, it's like, whoa, that's cool. But 
that's all I'm getting out of it. I don't feel like it would be something that I would find useful. I think I'd be frustrated by the results. Um, but again, not every tool is meant for every person either. Right. If if you have the use case for it, like if you wanted to, you know, engrave something on that's already existing on something and you don't want to take it off and put it in a laser machine, this may do the job. I don't know. It didn't state the power of the laser, you know, so I don't know if it's a two watt or what it is, but I think that's the the question is a 1.2 is what I Liam is saying, but and that's you know he'll do paper and some lighter stuff, kind of cool. And pancakes, apparently. And pancakes. Well, pancakes. That's very important to laser your pancakes. Yeah, and it looks like if we would have gotten here early enough, the lowest pre- pledge you could have done to get one is two hundred and forty nine dollars. And yeah, I just keep thinking if you heard it and you immediately like you know it like immediately rang a bell, then this is the kind of thing for you. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I could, I could see people at, and Chad, I'm not talking about you. I could see people at craft shows sitting there at their table and doing this right there on the table just to get people to stop. And then you could say, oh, I can even laser engrave your dog on your, on the back of your iPhone case. You know what I mean? I, and I could see them raking in the money. I'm so glad you finished that sentence. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to try to laser engrave somebody's dog. Well, you can. But, um, well, yeah, if you don't mind that dog being blind. Well, you engrave like his back leg, like he's one of them French models. On something like that, you've got to remember that lasers admit very intense light. And everybody in the vicinity needs to be wearing glasses, safety, you know, laser glasses. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then a, a second email here, which I'm going to fully admit isn't completely for this show, but I could see people on this show and listening to this show react to this email, both you guys, the host, and the people listening. Um, this is from Lau. It says, hey, hey, Dor, uh, something that might work uh, is called um, is called Project Night. For, for example, pick a Pick a night with a cool name, um, call it whatever you want, um, and get everyone to get something we will all build on air. Examples, own, own cloud, internet radio box, pie print server, maybe a Google smart mirror. Put these mini computers to, to work. Thanks for all you do. And it didn't strike me for days after reading this. One thing I've always wanted to do is um, do uh, have a reason to do webinars, webinars, quote unquote, but not in any way that anyone does webinars. Everybody does webinars with the end goal of getting money from everybody. You do a webinar to come out here and learn about this so you can spend money on that or go to this webinar so I can tease you for an hour about something that you need to pay for. To me, that's what it seems like most of them are about. This to me is the idea of a, instead of a webinar, I can call it a webinar so people know, but I can call it a collaborative webinar to where we can host online video things where I can, or a specialist can do something, either build a, um, a water sensor to put by your hot water heater to see if it's leaking, a sensor 
uh, up in your attic to see if the temperature goes too fast. Build an own cloud server on a Raspberry Pi. Install this desktop on Linux and show. I mean, there's a, literally anything can be possible with this kind of thing. Um, but it also would require, to me, some sort of buy-in from people who are experts on things that I'm not an expert in to come in and do the same thing. Dare I say, almost like a lug, where it's a user group, but it's a building user group on anything tech-related. I don't know if any of these kind of ideas uh, get you guys interested whatsoever. I think a mug would be great, yeah. Good old maker's user group. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, I was actually thinking of uh, doing something similar when I first started thinking about the makerspace, you know, to do one, it kind of occurred to me that you could do a almost like a classroom style lug where or mug, whatever you want to call it, where you have, you know, this is what we're going to do and just do it, you know, just do it online with everyone and just show what you're doing. Maybe even have, you know, a week before, hey, this is what we're going to do this is the parts we're going to use. If you have them, you can build it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- yeah. And, and that was one of the things I thought exactly. The more complicated or the more expensive a project is, the longer out you say you're going to do it. So it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be two months if it costs, you know, $100 or whatever. Um, and it doesn't have to be uh, presentable post time. It doesn't need to be in a podcast form. It doesn't need intros. It doesn't need constant talking. It's the kind of thing where we can all sit around, look at each other's cameras while we're doing things and, you know, uh, guide each other through, help each other through, show what we learned, show how we failed because some of us are going to fail. And honestly, I think it could be a good learning exercise. And without sounding stupid, if this happens, the number one rule is probably going to be unbelievably family-friendly because this is also the kind of atmosphere I could honestly see, personally me, bringing my oldest son into and having him involved in these processes of making anything because at the, you know, at the same time he could learn, I, I could honestly see Liam or Aaron bringing their kid in because their kid might find this week's project interesting or this month's project interesting. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That's That sounds like a really, really good idea. Yeah, you could almost do it like a live stream with chat so that they could give their input and everything, too. So I, I like the idea. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. There will be different layers because you're going to have people who want to be on the camera helping, talking, asking questions. Then you're going to have the people who just want to watch the video while they do it. And then you're going to probably have the people that just want to listen to it as background noise. Okay, well, I will say... It's just something else I would like to do. Um, the more interest I hear from the mo- from the more people, the more passionate it makes me about doing this. Is what I want to say directly. Either way, I can see doing uh, small things that don't require a lot of money that we can do. Just like you know, uh, putting uh, certain applications on your Raspberry Pi, or you know, like Brett, uh, the optimal way to turn a Pi into a retro computer game running system. And then, you know, another episode could be putting some kind of extra hardware on it, whether it be a joystick or a gamepad or something. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. Okay, uh, moving on to the topics, uh, Chad wants to talk about his awesome K40. Yeah, I'm not sure how awesome it is, but um, 
Yeah, I got that laser, and I've been messing around with it this week, and I've done some pretty cool cuts on, or engravings with it and whatnot. <clears throat> I put up a little video on the Maker's YouTube channel of of it in progress working. Um, it is what it is, though. It is um, the software is... You know, it's a cracked version of uh, Corel Paint or whatever, Draw, and never using it. I'm learning all that and how to use it and whatnot. So I am actually in the progress right now of figuring out which way I want to go on upgrading it. But um, I don't know if I want to go with a Raspberry Pi style setup or an Arduino setup or full computer hooked up to it but what I'm thinking is more of using the Arduino setup and then hooking an Octoprint setup to it and just using it like that because then I can run full g-code and I can just send g-code through it you know just like I do the Octoprint and I think that would re be really cool and I'm going to try to get videos out of the upgrades that I do on it and uh, as I'm going through it. And then on the video, there was um, a little bit about the MPCNC. Um, I got some of the upgrades done. I haven't really tested it to see if they're all working correctly. Um, I'm hoping to do that tomorrow. And I generally, when I do that, I try to live stream some of that stuff on my channel. And that's... Uh, in the notes you can get a link to it or it's uh watch what is it watch my diy on youtube um so yeah i don't know don't really have a lot about my stuff this week it's 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 more just stuff that's in progress well uh here's my question is there a genuine shortcoming about this laser that you find really like um uh upsetting um, definitely that you have to use their software. You can't use anything else because it doesn't send a real, um, uh, G code or a printer setting type deal. Like some of the, uh, better printers or, um, lasers do. Um, that's why I want to go to where I can just actually get some G code in it and run it with just G code and, off of uh, an Arduino setup. Do you have any? Um, this is your first laser, yes. Um, what do you What are you doing as far as safety wise, like venting and uh, eye protection and all that? Um, for venting, I, it it comes with a fan, and I've got it exhausted out to the outside of my house. Um, as far as glasses, there. <laughs> That is another shortcoming of these uh, K40s. There is no safety switch that says, oh, the door must be shut before the laser will turn on. No, that door can be open and it will turn on with you having the door open, which is not very safe. Um, I always make sure I got the door closed and only looking at it. If you're looking at it, just looking through it, the tinted uh, glass that's, or plexiglass or whatever that's on the uh, machine. So that is something that I probably will upgrade is put a switch on there that it won't fire unless that switch is tr triggered. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, we also have um, Jonas um, joining us here. Uh, hey man, did, 
did you do any uh, building, breaking, or learning this week? Oh, a little bit of learning, some printing, and I tried to fix my K40 that doesn't work right now. Uh, how did it not work? Laser power is down. It's arcing in the laser tube, so it's either the uh, power supply or the tube itself. Wow, that's not fun. That's not good. Um, did you do any uh, learning this week? It seemed like you were pretty b- busy doing stuff for, I want to say, was it a sci-fi co- convention? Yeah, I'm just trying to put together some things for the uh, Hawaii Con, which is the sci-fi slash Comic-Con for Hawaii on the Big Island. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool, very cool. So I printed some uh, alien heads, made keychains out of those, and been using a lot of this uh, E3D Online PLA, which has been pretty nice. I've posted it in the chat a couple times, but I've been putting uh, the PVA liquid onto Kapton tape, and the PLA sticks pretty well to that. And then I finally just ripped off my Capdom tape and just tried it with straight PLA on the glass, and that works really well, too. I like this uh, E3D PLA. Um, you can run it a little bit hotter, and it gets more shiny the, the hotter you run it, which is pretty nice. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Um, did you have any other things you wanted to uh, bring up? I don't think I have anything else right now. I was uh, I was gonna ask Jonas what uh, what liquid PVA are you using? Are you using that glue that uh, the purple stuff? It's called PVA mold release. It's uh, I got it at the fiberglass store. It's basically for making fiberglass molds or carbon fiber molds of things, so that you can release the part from the mold easily. It just puts a really super thin layer of um, PVA, which I think Liam mentioned it. It's actually the same stuff glue stick is made out of. It's just liquid. Yeah. Um, is it like a spray or kind of like a hit? Yeah. It's just in a bottle. I oh, dab okay. it on with a paper towel. doesn't seem to affect the surface much. That's really good. That's really nice to, yeah. Quick uh, correction on that. So the PVA, the mold release, that's acetate, the A, and that's like green usually. Um, the PVA glue, that's polyvinyl alcohol. Um, they are not the same, even though they both happen to work for 3D printing. Oh, okay. Yeah, this bottle doesn't even say what's actually in here. It just says PVA mold release. So, yeah, I'm sure whatever Liam says is the truth. <laughs> oh, let's not go that far. But yeah, that's the one that has that nice uh, um, vinegar-ish smell. He has not for a personal body perfume. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Um, okay, Brett, you wanted to talk about some uh, Kickstarter stuff? Yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to start a little, I guess you could call it a discussion, where, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at Kickstarter and I don't really know, you know, what do you guys think about it? Do you think it's a good for uh, mainly just market uh, market testing? I'm, I'm thinking about doing a, uh, well, been thinking about doing a uh, a standalone console for emulation and uh, different things like that. I I don't know. It's I just thought I'd bring it up and see what you guys thought. Well, my thought first is: Do you want Kickstarter or just crowdfunding? Well, I'll ask one more question: Kickstarter, crowdfunding, or and do you also want distribution involved? Well, the distribution would be kind of nice. Um, 
crowdfunding is more of a, you know, probably what I'm looking for. But uh, I just, you know, I know Kickstarter a little bit, so I figured I'd just start out there. Well, with Kickstarter, unless you get funded, then it's just dead in the water as far as they're concerned. Um, you can use like Indiegogo and it doesn't matter if it's funded or not. You can still go through them to do the collection of funds and all that for selling the stuff unless something's changed. Um, Door could probably talk to this a little better, at least on the Indiegogo side. I, th- I think a while back, Podnuts had one of those, didn't they? Um, no Indiegogo. We did have a Kickstarter. The biggest difference in the past was Indiegogo, you had options to where you could set and say, I only want the f- I only want people's cards to get charged if we're completely successful and then I get the money. Or you could set it to no matter how much funding I get, I want to get the money. And when Kickstarter first came out, you had to get all the money. So there was two. Di- that was one of the basic differentiators. Um, I do believe Kickstarter now has a way to where you can set your um, uh, re um, the, your reward payout to be on anything. But if you want to do the flexible model of funding, I would suggest Indiegogo over Kickstarter. But then you have something like um, you have something like um, crowd crowd supply. Crowd Supply tries to take the same mechanics as Indiegogo or Kickstarter, but also support you after the campaign. They also want to be a all-in-one stored front and distribution center for your goods. So hypothetically, your thing takes off and becomes popular. They can help you with all of the bookkeeping and all of the shipping and all of the, you know, sending stuff out in a very in a much more hands-off kind of fashion. So there's three different ways you can do this. I think Kickstarter is more of really um trying to just get as much market um eyeballs as possible. Indiegogo seems to be a little bit more on the open source, a little bit more on the ideals plus funding kind of mechanism. And with um and with um and with um crowd supply, it seems to be on like a limited, tangible, physical goods kind of basis. So first, you got to figure which one of those fit your one year, two year, five year in goals. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, crowd supply right now, and that's probably one of the better. I it's probably one of the best ones that I've seen as far as. You know, like you said, having a place to sell after. You know, it's uh, like there's this, there's these uh, healthy pie version three. You know, it's raised. You know, way more, and you can actually order it, which is nice. Yeah, that's one of the things I don't like when I try to find something and I find it on Kickstarter, and then I get ready to go do a pledge, and I notice the campaign ended two years ago is this really the place I should go to order this, you know, kind of mentality we're with, um, we're with, um, um, crowd supply. It's more of, this is the intended place to go to build up the product to be done. And then you can also come here, uh, browse it like an eBay kind of thing, looking for things and then buy them directly there as well. Yeah, that's nice. That's uh, probably something that I'm going to have to look into and I may just have to go with that. And, uh, Start from there. Well, I 
I think the simplest answer is go where your market's at. Um, who are you after? Yeah, that's a good point. Also, I I was actually going to mention something about that. My my market is basically anyone, any you know any anyone thirty and up that uh, remembers the eighties as far as games. You know, just going back to what uh, what the games used to be. You know, when they were more puzzle based, more you know, more difficult in a sense, but easier in a sense. You know, it's stuff like that. And when I when I look at where everyone's going, I think, unfortunately, Dor, I think uh, Facebook might be the, the best place to at least share something as far as that. Yeah, I think you're right. If you're after the Gen X, Gen Y folks, that's probably your best market. And well, uh, over there, a, a catchy video is probably going to be the best thing to grab the attention. Well, uh, first, yes and no. Here's the thing about any kind of crowdfunding thing. If you just go to Twitter and just search for crowdfunding, you will literally see hundreds of tweets a minute coming out. Um, You can't do this, Brett. You can't. You can't. Because it's one person can't do this anymore. You literally need to find a team of dedicated people to help you because the idea of crowdfunding now is now so developed. You literally have to have a strategy going into this. Um, the good podcast I take to listen to is a uh, crowdfunding cast uh, hosted by my good friend, uh, Jonathan. They He's interviewed hundreds of these guys um, going into a crowdfunding s- sprint. First and foremost, you have to have a lot of things organized, a lot of things planned out, including you need to have teams of social media people on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on everything else. Not just you. You are not enough. For you to launch this by yourself and you to tweet the things out and you to Facebook them to your wall and to get any traction whatsoever is luck, is really random chance luck. You have a team of between eight and 10 different people who are not intimately connected on any of these social media platforms. That's the most important thing. You can't all be shouting at the same crowd or else it's bad. You literally need like a guy, like a 16 year old kid in the UK, a 14 year old kid down in Brazil, a 60 year old guy in, um, in, um, in, um, in, um, the, um, outback a 20-year-old something in Japan. You literally need to have different people in different social economic areas. And you need to say, on this date, at this time, we're going to tease the launching of the Kickstarter. At this date, on this... And every time you do one of these steps, every time you do one of these events, they have to publish it on their social media field and they have to push it kind of thing. And you literally need to, like, tease the thing that it is coming for at least a couple weeks that's because your other main goal is whatever your goal is hypothetically let's say you need to make five thousand dollars okay your real goal then on this is going to be closer to eight hundred dollars because your real goal is to always get at minimum five hundred percent more than what your campaign actually needs because the only people who get highlighted on any of these services are people who are blowing way over the two to three hundred percent funded mark. That's one of those little algorithmic tricks that you use to game the system. 
So you need 5,000, you post, you say you only need 800, and then you basically, um, you get everybody together as much as you can beforehand, excited about this, waiting for this, it's getting ready to launch, it's getting ready to launch, it's getting ready to launch. Then you have to have your correct um, 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 ward set and not have unlimited numbers of them so people have a reason to go do it first. This is all Social Engineering 101. And then what happens is your goal is to hit that 100% in under a day. If you hit that 100% in under a day, then there's a higher chance you'll be pushed on the front page of their website. Thus, you'll start to get the network effect where it's very possible you'll end up with $200,000. Wow, um, that's that's a lot of information. I'm glad it's uh, in a podcast. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's basically what I was, you know, wondering was how to get traction, how to, you know, how to basically get things going to where, you know, and you're right, I can't do it by myself. I, I, I know that, you know, that's, uh, I've been trying to do it myself too long and it doesn't work that well. Well, and I don't hate the fact that I do this, but I often quote uh, late 80s, early 90s hip hop. So what I'm going to say is scared money don't make none. Uh, the other most important thing on these Kickstarter events is to have as high of a quality video presentation as possible with the complete sales pitch being within the first 30 seconds of that video. So you're going to need really good audio. You're going to need really clean camera work. You're going to need somebody really good to take that and produce a good video in the end. Um, I'll say a lot of people, what they do is they quite literally go onto sites or services like Odesk and they find people in the Philippines, India, the UK, wherever, and just say, here's a simple job. You'll get paid 20 bucks an hour. The gimmick is they only need to work for five minutes every two weeks. So it's not like you have to pay a lot of money. And then you simply pay them to go and post these things to Facebook, post these things to Twitter, post these things to Instagram or WeChat or any of these other services. And that's really, it seems like the only way these people are getting traction is because they're purposely, preemptively social engineering and manipulating the system. And it's not a bad thing. It's not like you're doing something dirty. You simply have to stand out. And the only way to stand out is to do more better than other people are doing because there's so many people going on these services and just having an idea, taking a picture, writing something in a text field, hitting submit and starting then their campaign and then wondering why in one day they only have one person who gave money to it. And I'll say this, Kickstarter has the most users. Kickstarter, Kickstarter also gives you the most possibility to have completely random people literally stumble across your thing and just give you money. And I know that because that's what happened with, with my Kickstarter. The three highest monies given by individuals were people who never heard of me before and I had no idea who I was. They just saw the video. They saw the text. They liked it and they gave me money. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, because I'd like to have someone, you know, like you said, random go and see this so you know kickstarter or you know whatever but a team is like you said definitely needed all right and i say i'm here all you got to do is tell me you know put me sign me up to some newsletter and say 
in this email that you have scheduled out to go Monday at 8 a.m. tonight at you know um, um, 6 p.m. Pacific time, tweet this, and and I'll tweet it. And there's a lot of other people that will do that too. So the first thing I would say is just try to find people distributed or on different platforms at least that you know of who are willing to just send out a tweet, send out a fake Facebook matches. Um, and don't look past even spending 10, 20 bucks on Facebook ads. Uh, even spending a little bit of money on stuff like that could actually turn out to be a great investment. Yeah, I've... I've done uh, Facebook ads in the past for my uh, computer business, and you know they're not bad. You know they're uh, they're a good a good way of uh, advertising, especially with how um, you know condensed you can make it, how solid you know you can get you know eighteen to twenty five year olds in this city, and you know it it goes down pretty deep with these interests, you know. Yeah, and I'll say you can always also in Facebook say people, you know, 18 to 25 do this ad where you highlight these style of games, these generations of games. People 25 to 35 in the ad have these kinds of games being spoken about. And then, the, you know, 45 and up have these kinds of games talked about. Because if I'm looking at something and it's showing me a game that was past my generation, it isn't going to click with me. But if you show me, you know, Super Mario Brothers on the NES or something, oh, well, I recognize that. I know that. Yeah, and that's that's what's kind of nice about all this, you know, the retro gaming is that each generation, every five, ten years has a different, you know, different game console or different something else entirely, you know, whether it be the 3D games from N64 or the extra two buttons that the that the SNES came with. So, you know, there's there's something pretty much for everybody, I think. Very cool. And I will say this. Crowdfunding of any magnitude is just a tool. You have to put, just like any other tool, you have to put effort into it in order to get something out of it. Um the likelihood of just posting something and having it a massive success is unbelievably astronomical. And then if you ask that person, what did they do to be successful? Anything they say is not going to help you because what they did was purely random chance. Um, on that show, crowd, um, crowd funding cast. Um, he really does talk to a lot of people and you do see the more organized you are about your publicity, about your self marketing, dare I say, the more likely you are to uh, get success. And all it is is increasing your odds. There's no guarantee of anything being a success on any of these platforms. But all you do have the opportunity to at least increase your odds. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of good advice. Thanks, Dor. Um, yeah, and, you know, it just starting from nothing and getting to something is going to be a lot of work. But... I'm willing to do it. That's for sure. Well, and, and, and I'm sure there's more than a couple people involved in this podcast and listening to this podcast and people, you know, personally who be more than willing to also help you as well. Cause I'll tell you this doctors make the worst patients. Doctors make the worst patients. Auto mechanics have the worst cars. It's just a fact of life. So while I probably would have a horrible crowdfunding campaign, if I tried to do one now, I honestly think I'm better at giving the advice 
to doing it better than doing it. No, I can, I can, I can attest to that. You know, my my dad being a mechanic and you know never working on his car. Well, a little different than a mechanic, but nonetheless works with cars. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, and I don't know how much of this is okay to say, but I'm going to say some of it, and I'm going to leave some of it vague. Uh, a good a guy, because they're a really good friend, uh, lives in Canada, Canduadia, or what was it called? Um, Russia Southeast or something? I don't remember what we called it. Yeah, I can't remember. It was something. Um, he was at a conference uh, for a organization that's big. Um, not like big like Ford GM or anything like that, but a big organization, internet organization. And they're looking at having a hundred initially i believe it was a hundred raspberry pi zeros um configured installed with software uh put inside of a case with a battery pack and shipped all over the world uh having them used as uh remote offline web servers to share and distribute information to like doctors and stuff um this is the kind of um campaign kind of thing that if given the chance i'll help i'll support uh we did have at least more than one person here on uh a host of this show who was more than willing to uh try to figure out ways to lend support to this kind of thing um i will say the concepts and ideas we had about what kind of in case to use enclosure to use uh temperature variables these things are going to see because they're going to be in like semi-tropic regions like extreme heat extreme humidity um my experience though with Raspberry Pi Zero is heat really should not be an issue whatsoever, especially if you're running internet in a box. Even if there's three users on it, I don't see it generating that much activity processing or uh, heat off the device. I think the real issue would be um, humidity and corrosion over the long term because their goal is to have these things literally run for like three or five years before having to be re um re um re placed. Um these are the kind of projects to be honest, even if I'm not dead directly involved with or I can directly support having somebody uh bring it to our group asking questions, insight. Do you guys have any concept ideas on how this can be done better? These are the kind of ideas I really do like hearing about just because they make us think. I think you could pretty easily put a heat sink on the appropriate spots. And dunk the whole thing in epoxy, and it would be good for a long time. I'm I'm just remembering um, corrosion X. That stuff's great for this kind of thing. I mean, you can take and cover speed controllers and um, servos and you know RC components in this stuff. It's it's non-reactive electrically, and it keeps water out. Um, I'll, I'll drop a link for that because I, I don't know why I think about that earlier. It just came to me just now. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll say, here's the good thing. The only thing they need physically exposed, they said, is like one of the cables, one of the micro USB power cables. Well, here's one of the beautiful things about the Pi Zero. I do believe there is a way you can have a cable going from a computer to your Pi Zero, that same interface, and you can actually flash the SD card over that same cable, that same input, which I think is really awesome. So even if you do fully enclose the thing, I don't see any reason they would have to ever 
crack it open or get inside it or get back into that SD card unless the SD card itself fails. And then if the SD card itself fails, let's be for real now. The SD card is probably just as, if not more expensive than the Pi Zero. Yeah, um, I was thinking about uh, different different ways of doing that. But what's kind of neat that I found with doing some of my stuff with the Pi Zeros is you can actually run a USB OTG cable with a hub and power the whole thing through the OTG cable instead of the power plug. Um, it it acts as the same same thing except with the uh, OTG, it actually acts as a as a USB hub. Yeah, I no, I don't think I ever knew that was possible. I think I actually saw a video where they showed it, but they didn't explain it. So it didn't really click with me what was going on until you said that in the uh, chat. Yeah, I I found that out when I uh, was doing the the USB hub. I couldn't figure out why it didn't have a power cable in the one that I saw online. But come to find out, the power cable is based off the USB hub that has a power cable, uh, a micro USB cable in it, which is kind of nice. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, Brett, I'm going to put a link in our Voxer chat, uh, and I'll try to have it in the notes here, to another podcast I found. And the first thing I thought of when I heard this podcast, uh, the first episode, was you, because they did mention the multi-million dollar arrest for people uh, doing what they, what in their terms, instead of having the goal to preserve and share retro gaming, their goal was to make money off of retro gaming. Uh, and as soon as he said that, I absolutely thought of you. Uh, so I'm going to make sure you have a link to this, and I'm going to uh, put it in the notes as well. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, they they were considered counterfeit games, and it was just a big mess. Yeah, it was something I don't want to get in trouble with. You know, so it's good to learn from other people's mistakes, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, podcast is called Retro RGB. Um, it's not of the best audio quality, but, uh, I, I, I listened to a couple episodes of it and it, it, to me, it at least was good content. They talked all about the, uh, emulation that's going on, why some systems are hard to emulate, uh, kind of thing. I, I just thought it was good information. Cool. Just added, uh, we'll see how it works, but I'm sure if you like it, then I'm sure that'll be, uh, pretty good. Well, I subscribe to 122 podcasts, so you never know. Good point. <laughs> okay, uh, did you guys have anything else you wanted to bring up, discuss, or uh, just talk about? I've got one more thing. Um, in putting together these alien things, I was using Inkscape to do some text. And if you look at Tinkercad and you click on the text button, um, there's not a lot of options on fixing up that text just the way you like. However, if you can draw in two dimensions in something like Inkscape or Illustrator or something like that, you can save your image as an SVG and then import that into something like Tinkercad and then Tinkercad will automatically extrude that out into a shape and then you can manipulate it and apply it to your other objects. So there's a link in the show notes for Inkscape it runs on Windows, Mac, Linux, whatever you want to put it on. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I knew 
there had to be a way to take Inkscape renders, pull them into a designing application, and and make it 3D. So that's awesome. Um, I, I didn't honestly didn't know it was that easy. So that's really good. I'm not going to say I'm comfortable in, in in inside of Inkscape. I will say I'm more comfortable inside Inkscape than I am in any of the designer applications that that I've tried so far. Yeah, it's really good if, even if you have a, a simple complex shape that you don't quite know how to combine shapes with uh, Tinkercad or something like that. If you know kind of the outline that you need, you can draw the two-dimensional outline and just imagine that being as tall as you need, kind of like when you're seeing, seeing things. So if you can imagine a, a 2D shape, infinite height or depth, um, you can take that shape into something like Tinkercad and create an STL out of it that you can 3D print. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, show my son Inkscape as well and have him uh, take a look. Because Inkscape also has very good um, online tutorials uh, showing, how to, showing you how to do some basic things. Yeah, and there's lots of good stuff online. There's a guy, uh, Nick Separito, out of uh, Philadelphia. Has a lot, a lot of good, uh, real simple graphic tutorials on YouTube about how to do seemingly complex stuff in Inkscape. Some of the complex stuff takes a lot of steps, but you can watch this guy do them and uh, pick it up and learn how to do it yourself. Very cool, very cool. Uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for coming out. Speak now or for hold your stuff until next week. Okay, uh, the other thing I'm going to throw out there just because I can, I don't care. Um, another thing that's been going on in my head for millennia is the idea of a Podnuts game show. Giggity. I know, I know, I know. But here's the thing. We like to grow things naturally in an agile format here on Podnuts, which just is a whole bunch of bunk with fancy words in it. Um, if you guys also like the idea of a game show, why not you get the ball rolling by when you send us an email, you send us questions involving making 3D printing CNCing about things that you know that you don't think that we might know and see how good we can do. And I'll take that as being game show version 0.1. And it can be for any show, not just this show. Um, and if we see any momentum with that, that will, again, further encourage me to actually do a Podnest game show. Um, with that, uh, again, the makers at Podnuts.com. Again, click on the notes to see all these links and contact information, our YouTube link, our Instagram link, our MeWe link, and our email link right there on the show notes. I want to thank everyone for downloads. Thanks, everyone, for their support. I want to thank Brett for making me spend $19 during this show buying a 3D pen. No problem. And I will talk to everyone again next week. <laughs>